As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Race IndyCar podcast. At this point of the show, we usually do a little intro between JR Hildebrand and I and then fire off into a guest or to talk about a race, but we've got a, a podcasting pro on this week's episode of the pod, so I'm just going to, uh, I'm presuming he's already scripted everything for us. He's got all the sound levels checked and he's going to edit the podcast when we're finished as well. So uh, welcome to the show, Alexander Rossi. Are you ready for all that extra work or not? Man, I just show up to mine. I didn't know that uh, <laughs> there was some stupidities for this one, but uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. I'm a uh, big fan of what you do and, um, you know, appreciate being here. Oh, awesome. Well, it's great to have you on, especially uh, with the start to the season that you've had. You've had uh, five top tens in as many races now and uh, there's only two other drivers in the series on that run. Uh, seventh in the championship and probably would be somewhere around fourth without the the pit lane incident at Texas and the, the suspension issue that you had at, at Long Beach as well. So a really strong start to your, your new home at Arrow McLaren. I know you set such high standards for yourself, but given your swap from, from Andretti to McLaren this year, you must be generally pleased with how everything's gone with your switch over yeah no i think i think i am you know in the beginning um at thermal you know with with the new group and everything i admittedly was a little bit um concerned about you know how we were gonna you know get up to speed in what was only three days of, of preseason testing before saint pete um but the the organization and the people and the management and the structure and everything really blew me away with, with how quickly, you know, the group was able to integrate into the team. And it wasn't really just me coming on board, but just, you know, it, it was, it was adding a whole car and, and, and the staff that goes along with that. And um, it was a really seamless transition, which I think is, is a huge testament to, to what Aaron McLaren is capable of. Um, and now, you know, halfway through the season, I, I wouldn't even say that it feels like, you know, we're a new car or, or a new group of people, like, like everything's working um, as it should, as if we've been together for a really long time. So, so that's been incredibly positive. Um, the car was a little bit different than I think I expected going into the season. So, so my preconceived thoughts of, of, of how an Aero McLaren car was going to behave and, and perform um, was wrong, 
Um, but that's that's not a bad thing by by any stretch of the imagination. It was just a little bit of of a surprise. Um, the transition to a new manufacturer has been has been seamless as well. So yes, I think there's a lot of really positive things um, to take away from from the start of the year, except for the fact that you know we've only we've only had one podium, right? So I think yes, consistency has been good. Um, that's something that I've I've learned. Um, through others that it's it's critical to have in this championship but you also have to you know be on the podium or or winning races so that's kind of uh, uh a big priority for us for the second half of the year considering we've kind of gotten through what i feel like is the growing pains and and gotten through those challenges and now it just has to be about you know ultimate performance i know you've been You've been asked about what you've just talked about a little bit there a million times about the team expanding and taking on new staff and and all that kind of stuff. But I really kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit for our our listeners who maybe don't know as much about this. And um, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot, but let's get into this a little bit more. So we've seen multiple teams and, and, and well, yeah, multiple teams in IndyCar basically expand and, and take on extra staff or, or extra cars and really struggle to maintain any sort of performance or consistency or or whatever it might be um it's you know we know it's such a, a difficult thing especially when people uh, whether it be engineers mechanics whoever uh, are in short supply in the series um you know a, a proper elite level but I, I guess your team not only is a host of new people but people who weren't necessarily from motorsport to a certain extent as well people from different backgrounds so you must be so impressed with how they've all integrated and how you've all come together like this. And I guess just from your experience of, of IndyCar generally, just explain how difficult that is to bring so many new people together and, and to achieve the level of performance that you have done. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's very hard. Um, you, you know, you can talk about examples of, like you said, of teams expanding and taking them, you know, some time to, to find their feet again. I think where our team is able to been success to be successful with it is, embracing the 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 newness of the people and the ideas that they bring to the table you know so often in racing or in life in general you know you get into this rhythm of just doing the same thing over and over again and it isn't until someone with a complete new new perspective comes in where you're like oh man why why didn't i think of that or why haven't we been doing that the whole time so i think having that openness and and encouraging that dialogue from everyone it's not just from engineers it's from everyone on the shop floor whether they came from an indie car background whether they came over from from europe whether they came from um i have a guy on my car from sprint cars right it, it doesn't really matter they're excellent at what they do and everyone has good ideas and good history right that that you know, you can learn something from from anyone if you try hard enough. So I think that's been the approach that that Gavin and Brian um, have encouraged and taken. And and what you also get with that is everyone feels like they're a part of something. You know, it's it's you you feel like you're a part of a team. You you're in an environment where you feel like you can be successful and and you can let your personality and who you are kind of shine through. And so that's been really special to be a part of because yes, we're we're at the racetrack because you're trying to win races without a doubt. Like that is, that is the number one priority, but also everyone there is just, they're, they're enjoying being at a racetrack. They're enjoying working for the team, wearing papaya, representing the brand. And I think that that makes everything easier. You know, yes, you still have bad days and you're disappointed in results or, or whatever might happen, but you quickly bounce back because you're excited to get back to the racetrack, whether that's the next day or the next weekend or whatever. So um, I think that's that's really the reason why we've been able to 
to to have the the growth that we've had with with the success that we've had is because everyone just is truly happy to to be at the track have you noticed any sort of uh, i don't know if shift is the right way to put it but do you feel like you've been getting the the kind of praise you've deserved for the first part of the season and and how you've been performing i, I guess i'll kind of sort of um talk about that a bit more generally because uh, i guess people over the past three years since the aero screen come in have been you know, wanting you to fight for the championship to to win multiple races and and do what you did uh, before the aero screen came in, basically. And uh, I guess it must get really annoying to hear people asking you that, you know, all the time and and asking, you know, when are you going to return to fighting for the championship? And I guess you know exactly what you're capable of and what you can do when you're in the right kind of surroundings. But do you feel like you've that that has been kind of met by people on the outside? You know, your fans, general people. Um, you know that level of performance that you've been able to show this first part of the season and, and does that kind of thing bother you or do you just kind of try to, to block that stuff out? Um, yeah, I, it doesn't, I think, I mean, JR can, can kind of test or, or allude to this as well. You know, as, as a racing driver, you're, you're your number one kind of critic and the number one amount of pressure comes from yourself. Um, so the other, the other stuff is, is, yeah, I mean, you, you read about it, you hear about it, but it ultimately it's, it's just noise. Um, and it doesn't really matter. The things that bother me the most are when you get into contract kind of time and there's that, Oh, what's you, what are you doing? What's happening? And no one can talk about it. And everyone knows you can't talk about it yet. The questions still get asked. It's like, guys, this is, <laughs> this is dumb. But when it comes to like the performance stuff, no, I mean, I think people have a right to, um, you know, expect us to to be where we were in 2018, 2019. I certainly do. Um, you know, I've I've talked a lot about what what went wrong um from you know 2020 through you know the through kind of three years. Um, you know, there was some obviously good points there, but as a whole, yeah, it was it was it was very disappointing. Um, but I think that, you know, having the a new opportunity, you know, the opportunity to um, kind of turn the page and, and start a new chapter is, is not something that, you know, everyone gets that opportunity. That's, that's, that isn't lost on me, you know, that I'm in a very fortunate position to go from one, you know, fantastic organization to, to another one. And so for me, this year was really about, you know, maximizing, you know, the, the things that I had around me on, on a given day. Right. And, um, you know, I think that's where for the most part, the, the consistencies come from, but, you know, that's honestly, that's probably the easy part. So the hard part is, you know, taking that next step and, and, you know, we we're, we're watching what um, Alex is doing right now. And that's, that's very difficult to to emulate and that's very difficult to, to try and stop that, but that has to be our, our number one focus and, and target. Yes. You know, you, you got to finish races, but you got to start taking a little bit more risks at this point in the season um because you know if you're if you're able to pull it off and, and be successful with that then um it pays pretty big dividends can you take it as a bit of a compliment when people expect that from you you know you, you know when you see that people expect you to win races and, and win the championship it's almost a compliment that they're, they're holding you to that level and you know they want that standard for you because they believe that's what you're capable of uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a very good way to look at it. I mean, I think it's just that that's my expectation for myself. That's what I demand of myself and, and those around me. So that's totally fine that others have that, that same opinion. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get back there. It's, it's, it's coming. It's just, uh, it's been a, it's been a journey for sure. 
there's been a bunch of really interesting things that you've said that I want to I want to sort of jump in on. But first, uh, just for a little bit of clarity, last week you tweeted that jump starts are now encouraged and celebrated, and and I just wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page that <laughs> restarts are all jumped restarts are also encouraged and celebrated in the IndyCar series. So <laughs> just, any, any, any sort of start, it would seem that you can do it. I just want to get yes. that out of the way. So we're all, so we're all in the clear here. Um, Correct. One of the things that I wanted that, that you mentioned earlier that I just wanted to kind of jump in on, cause I think it's, you know, when you're, when you're racing, you are often even sometimes just out of curiosity, whether as a driver or a team, you're looking at what other teams are doing and kind of the way that other cars are performing and behaving. And you do start to build up this, uh, you know, you use the word preconception of what those other cars are like to drive. Um, and so just talk us through that process a little bit more, having seen the Aero McLaren cars over the last couple of years, you see, you know, Pato kind of constantly getting this fast hands, ninja, whatever thing going on. I have to imagine that that was part of what was building up this viewpoint of what an Aero McLaren car was going to be like. <laughs> Just it, talk us through that from your own perspective, like thinking about that from the outside and then getting in the car. And you mentioned already that it was different, but uh, maybe give us a little more detail. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it Pato specifically, right? Like he, he's one of the most exciting guys to watch. Like his onboard is always going to, going to be entertaining and, and impressive. And that's part of what makes him so talented and, and so good at what he does is his car control is, is unbelievable. Right. And he can, he's so often racing, you're trying to find, okay, you want to be at a hundred percent of, of the maximum of the car and the tire 98% isn't good enough, but 102% isn't good either. Right. But to find that hundred percent, you've got to sometimes step over the limit. The problem with that is that usually results in crashing race cars, which you can do a couple times, but you can't do it often. What seems to happen is Paddle has this ability to go over a hundred percent and not crash race cars. Um, and so that's allowed him to, to really shine, especially in, in kind of qualifying situations um, because he can, he can kind of exceed that limit and, and pull it back and, and execute on the following session or the following lap or whatever. Um, so going in, I thought, man, this car is going to be, it's going to be a lot of work to drive. Like it's going to be, it's going to be like a, like a wild horse or something, right. Just based on, on his onboard. Yeah, you you think, Oh, it's, it looks like super positive, you know, it's, it's, it's so going to just be, you're yeah, going to be yeah. hanging on for dear life. Yeah. Right. And, and there was kind of that opinion and, and not necessarily an opinion. Like there was the, the fact that, you know, Air McLaren cars in the race, you know, weren't very good um, from a, from a race distance standpoint and driving for Andretti, you know, if, one of those cars out qualified us, we always knew, okay, well, they'll probably come back to us in the race type of thing. But that's just a lot of that is, is Pato just drives that quickly. Like he just, he, he's able to kind of make the car do that and, and make the car dance. And he has it set up for him around that to allow him to kind of do that and get away with it. And it, it's just not what I was, was necessarily expecting. So um, I think he's very unique from that standpoint. I think there are things that him and I um, do that are similar. Um, there's things that Felix and I do that are similar. But what's what's good is even though his his style and and the way that the team has kind of been built around his style is unique, it's not polarizing. You know, I've I've been a part of of teams where you know a driver has such a 
a specific style and it's almost like you can't find the performance in it. Like you can find the performance in, in what Pato is doing. So it doesn't take a, a reinvention every single weekend. You know, we're all very, yes, there's differences, but we're not on three independent islands all the time. Right. So I think that that, that part is encouraging and it's just taken me a little bit of, of re assessing and understanding and really getting rid of the preconceived notions um, because the car is actually really, really nice to drive. And that's, that was kind of what I said in the beginning. And I like had to apologize a couple of times. So you come in <laughs> uh, in the, in the beginning of like St. Pete or thermal or, or wherever, like still early on and you do the first outing and um, I'd come in, they were like, how's the car? And I'm like, man, it's surprisingly, it's really good to drive. I'm like, sorry, I shouldn't say it. <laughs> surprisingly. Like, I'm not saying your car is a piece of crap, but like, I just, again, had to kind of get over that. So that took, that took a little bit. And it really wasn't until the road America test, because again, you're trying to learn all these things on race weekends. And it wasn't until the road America test where I think we took a, a really decent step um, kind of in the single app pace department, which has been our deficiency this year. So, um, hopefully that it should translate here in six days, but you know, the time will tell. Um, but yeah, I think to, to answer your question, JR, it's just, um, it's, it's not a wild car like you would expect it to be. It's actually a very, yeah. very, um, uh, pleasant car and, and it's actually quite good on tires as well, which, which makes our lives easier. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see how that would be a pleasant surprise uh, coming from what yeah. <laughs> what we all think from the outside. So I guess right. another another thing that I wanted you know to just see if you wouldn't mind elaborating on a little bit is you know I think from the again from the outside looking at Aero McLaren, there's this clear link to the Formula One program and the and the brand and and all of the stuff. I guess I I wonder if maybe that that link is. Um, getting like too much credit for how good the IndyCar team is. And, and maybe, and I don't know that. So I guess that's, that's sort of my question is how much influence do you really see from the F1 program in terms of the quality of the IndyCar program? And, and maybe the flip side of that being how much of it is just down to really having great people and, you know, Gavin Ward, Taylor Kyle before him, Brian, you've, you've already kind of shouted out a few of these guys. Um, you know, what is that, what's sort of the combination of those factors, um, that are bringing you guys so much success? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. I don't know that I can answer it fully just because, you know, the, the F1, well, McLaren taking kind of full ownership of, of the team kind of occurred, you know, fairly recently. So I don't necessarily know what it was before, and what it is now, I can certainly see the, the influence that it, it has had at points throughout the year um, in terms of personnel and access to uh, like tools, software um, to yeah. allow us to kind of push the development, continue the development forward. But yes, I think you're absolutely right in the fact that it, it is the people in Indianapolis that are making these cars go as fast as they are and, and have the performance that they are. What the F1 team brings, and it will continue to grow probably at an exponential rate as time goes on, is access to things that we wouldn't usually have. But that's not a direct reason. That's not a direct impact on next weekend's result, right? That's kind of long term improvements and developments and projects that you know we'll see an on-track performance benefit 
at one point, but it might take a year, a year and a half for that, for that to be the case. So um, yes, access to people has been fantastic. That was where a lot of the um, fourth car for the 500, Tony's car, a lot of those people kind of came from, from the, um, the testing previous car program based in Europe. Those guys were able to get up to speed and integrate immediately. So that allowed us to run a fourth car. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we can do from a technical aspect um, is really, really cool and advanced. But again, it's not just because we have that doesn't mean you go three times go front of the racetrack. So, yeah, I would say it's it's the people in Indy and what, you know, Taylor deserves credit. Like you said, you know, what he was able to build um, as McLaren became a part of SPM and and that transition and, and um, having the team, you know, have access to to budget and things that they didn't have before is, is why you're seeing, um, you know, us be able to compete with the best. Yeah. I mean, it all totally makes sense. I guess switching gears a little bit, just because you've changed teams this past year, I think one of the things that you know, we don't, we don't always get a lot of insight into with drivers is kind of the the process that they're following when you're thinking about those moves and, and kind of what's going on there. One of the Jack and I were actually talking about this a little bit off air. One of the interesting things for you is that you still work really closely with your dad in that, Mm -hmm. in that process. So I I don't know for all the fans out there, I raced against your dad, Peter, early on Alex. So Alex and I were just, just like a little throwback. Alex and I were team go-karting teammates, not at the same because you're a couple of years younger. How old are you now? 31. Okay. So yeah, more than a couple of years younger than me. Um, but uh, we were sort of growing up in Northern California, uh, rolling up together. When I jumped my first year in cars, uh, raced against Peter in the Formula Russell Championship. Um, so he's obviously been around. This has been a passion of his for a long time. You know, our, our dads were both similar, I think, in that in that way. Neither of them really in a position to chase it truly as a professional, but, um, you know, sort of in a nurturing our careers on the way up. Um, I'm curious if you can just, you know, sort of talk a little bit about what that's been like with your dad and what it's like working with a family member, because that can, that can also be sort of a contentious situation at times. Um, how, how have you found that process and that relationship? Um, wonderful, honestly. And, um, so yes, dad was the, the introduction to, to racing as, as most fathers are, but, um, just like your dad, you know, didn't come from a racing background, just was kind of a fan of it. And, and so I, um, him and I kind of actually started racing at the same time, me and go-karts and, and him doing the, the, the Russell series at, um, Sonoma. And so then it kind of just, it, it all started to snowball. And, um, you know, my goal from the beginning was, was to get to Europe. He was a landscape contractor by trade. Um, didn't, you know, we, I was in a very fortunate position to kind of be in a middle-class family in California, but certainly didn't have several million dollars to throw it going racing in Europe. Right. So, so he, um, used his kind of business sense to create, uh, an investment program, um, which a lot of drivers do in the early parts of their years to, to try and raise the, the funding. Cause you know, ultimately selling a, a sticker on this, on a side pod for a championship for a 15 year old with no television is, is a tough thing to do. So you're selling, you're selling your futures essentially, um, which is totally fine uh, with me. You know, I remember my, my grandmother was like, would you rather have a hundred percent of nothing 
or you know a percentage of something and it's like well that's a, that's a pretty easy decision to make so um, he was involved in that involved in in my journey through Europe for for seven years he helped me you know achieve a goal of, of of racing Formula One even though it was a short period of time through that process like he was he was this guy from Northern California who had no background in anything motorsport related and he was negotiating contracts with F1 teams on my behalf so so that sort of you know, respect that he acquired immediately, especially as an American, was unbelievably impressive um, and really just gave me the opportunity to to chase my dream. And then obviously, you know, it all kind of shifted in 2016. Um, and since then, you know, not only have I found uh, a new home and, and a new love of, of motorsports in, in IndyCar, but he's found a, a career in in managing drivers and, and helping them, especially on the kind of road to Indy program and, and actually has a driver in IndyCar as well in, in, in Stingray Rob. So it's been very cool to watch, you know, it not only, obviously his, his priority is to, to look after me and, and to help me, you know, achieve my dreams and, and achieve success as his son, but also his hard work and sacrifice is being rewarded in him being able to help other families and, and other young drivers through his experience and, and what he's done. So yes, certainly at times, um, even, even now it's, uh, it's annoying. Cause like he'll call me <laughs> and it's like, is it, is it dad calling or is it manager calling? Um, so, and, but that's a difficult line for him to walk as well. So I'm not envious yeah. of that by, by any means, but, um, it's, it's really nice knowing that, through all of the the highs and lows, you've got someone who 100% has your best interest at heart um, at all times. So, so I'm very, very fortunate that uh, he had such a passion for it and, and ended up being pretty good at it as well. Alexander, we're massive fans of crossovers on this podcast. So uh, I guess we know you've driven Bathurst, you've done the Baja 1000, all of this cool stuff. What's next on the on the list? Uh, I guess you've had a, a pretty big uh, team move to think about here and you're probably not thinking about what you're going to be doing outside of IndyCar next. Probably not the first thing on your mind, but we always like to ask drivers who are interested in this kind of thing, what is like the, even if it's a dreamland situation, what would, what's the next thing on the list? Yeah, um, there's, there's a couple things, you know. So Bathurst, or not Bathurst, Baja, um, so I, I've done it. I've done it three years um, in class seven, and that was through the my relationship with with Honda and HPD. Um, and the final year, which was and I don't even remember, was it twenty one? We were able to win it in class. But quite honestly, like there's no reason why that truck shouldn't win that class. You know, it's the only factory supported truck and. It was kind of like if you finish, you win type thing. So I definitely want to go back and and do Baja um, in the top category and in, in a trophy truck. And there's something in the works for that as soon as this year, actually. Um, and then the other big one is I definitely want to go back and kind of redeem myself at least a little bit in Bathurst. Uh, <laughs> and but but I've and I've actually talked to Zach. I talked to Zach about it back back then. But I was like, man, I'll definitely come back. But I want to do. The twelve-hour race um, first to get more time at Bathurst because it's such a unique and and specific track, and so then you know hopefully the only thing that I'm adjusting to is just a new car and, and not a track as well. So um, that was when you know I wasn't even his driver really. Uh, so so that's hopefully um, you know something that can that can happen in the future with obviously him still being involved in 
in Walkinshaw and Ready United and, and um, you know, having access to, to sports cars as well. So hasn't been quite that high on the priority list, but it's certainly something in the back of my mind that once we get the things rolling um, in IndyCar, that, that we'll head back down south and uh, try that one over again. Have you made any uh, bets with him? Is there anything in his garage that you fancy uh, having a bet on? Honestly, man, I told him I don't care. Like, okay. if I race you can take me to dinner like i don't I, <laughs> that's not the motivation for me man i just want to win races i, I don't i don't <laughs> driving cars maybe should be more interesting to me but but it's not <laughs> well so getting back to getting back to your your day job here we're coming into mid ohio your average start there is seven and a quarter your average finish is better than that under under seven um you've won there before it's clearly a place that you've had figured out you know, sort of what can you tell listeners about this place? Like, what what do you like? What do you like about the track? What sort of resonates about it with you? What do you really need to go fast there? Um, and what do you expect for this weekend? Yeah, man, I just, I love, like, growing up racing on permanent road courses. And so I just love the high, higher speed, high grip tracks. Um, you know, I guess Barber could be in that category. And I don't like Barber at all. But I don't, I feel like that I, there's other reasons for that. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those classically designed road courses with, you know, small margins and big commitments needed, you know, to, to be fast there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that there's one thing specifically I, I like about it. You're never bored. That's for sure. Like there's not a lot of time to, to really think about, think about things. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, like you just, you need a car that you're comfortable, you know, having high levels of commitment in. That's, that's what it is. And there's so many corners there. You know, the obvious one is turn one, um, but turn 10 at the top of the hill. Um, there's a lot of lap time to be made there. Kind of turn nine, the coming to the all-star finish line, even braking for turn four and, and kind of the, the rolling speed that you're willing to carry through there. Um, so there's a lot of like, places that you can you can win or lose lap time just by being braver and and trying harder so that's kind of right up my alley um and so yeah you know the team the team walked out the front row there last year and so we have every expectation to go there and and be competitive and fighting for a win this weekend i know last year was not the highlight of your year for for sure and i also know that you did a lot of the I mean, it was something i mean it was a highlight i don't know if it was like <laughs> it was a highlight. highlight but it was highlight. we didn't say it was good or bad i also know that you did a lot of the healing over that you know in the second part of last season and it's not going to be anything that you're probably thinking about going into this year's event but does it just speaking generally does it feel like you're kind of a million miles away from from that race last year and and the kind of the situation that you find yourself in there and the situation that you find yourself in now with your new team and new teammates, new, new kind of whole thing going on, really, I guess it must feel, I mean, I mean, you can tell us, but it, it generally looks like it's a million miles away uh, thinking about back to that race. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's, um, it, I say this with the utmost honesty, a lot of good actually ended up coming out of that weekend. Yeah. But yes, in the moment, it was a, an absolute disaster um, for, for various different reasons. But um, yes, it, it's going into it this race now, this year, like you're a part of a team that you love everyone. Um, you know, I enjoy immensely working with Pato and Felix. I feel like we, we you know, push each other very hard, but there's there's a lot of mutual respect 
um, on and off the track. You know, a lot of people were expecting, you know, there to be some issue after Detroit. And the the, the fact of the matter is, you know, that's ultimately how I race people. Um, and you can't be upset if, if people also are racing you like that. That's IndyCar racing on a tight street course. Um, so it was one of those things where, um, you know, him and I talked about it and it was like kind of a no harm, no foul, like all good. Let's, let's go on to the next one. And, you know, we've Felix and I specifically, we've started next to each other, like pretty much every race this year. Um, <laughs> and there, there's an immense amount of respect between, between the two of us. So I think, yes, everything is, is re- opposite. It's very contrasting to what it was in, in 2022. And, um, yeah, I mean, but, but on that same token, you know, Roma and I are actually very friendly and, and cordial now and have bonded over airplanes. So like it, it all actually ended up working out fine, I think. Um, <laughs> but yes, it, it was, uh, it was certainly a moment that, that, that people like to, to talk about. And, um, one day I'll be able to share kind of all the, the nitty gritty details that went down that Sunday evening because it was, uh, <laughs> pretty interesting <laughs> i was just gonna say we've got time now if you want to get it all out alexander <laughs> yeah man i don't know i don't know like i don't know what the future holds so maybe give me like 10 years or so about that <laughs> i was gonna say we just need to start another podcast where there's like tequila drink <laughs> right, right, right. for everybody yeah, i'll tell you guys um, we'll get a lot we'll get a lot more of these stories well talking of podcasts you can listen to alexander's podcast off track with hinch and rossi which is a serious xm podcast you can get that where all your good podcasts come from like you can get ours but alexander we really thank you for your time and wish you the best of luck for mid ohio thanks for joining us hopefully we'll have you back on soon especially uh when that first win comes we'll definitely have you back on then and you can tell, tell us all about that weekend yeah right on guys thank you thanks for having me and then hopefully we talk next week that'd be pretty cool <laughs> thanks man looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Alexander, which I believe is the first time we've had Alexander since JR and I have been doing the podcast. I think that's the first time we've had him on, which is it uh, is, which seems weird to say, but um, yeah, we just uh, I guess we just hadn't got around to actually get him on here. So that was cool. Um, yeah, JR, what, what was your take on uh, Alexander's interview and how he kind of seems at the minute? Because um, like like I kind of put to him a little bit um, in the pod, I guess since we've been doing this podcast. It's been this kind of slump aero screen era of Rossi's time in, in IndyCar where everyone's expected him to be, you know, 2019, 2018 Rossi. And we haven't been, you know, we haven't been getting that from him like like he uh, like he addressed. Um, so I guess after chatting to him for 20 minutes there in a bit more of like a relaxed um, kind of setting, you know, what, what strikes you about his vibe and I, I guess what you learn about how he feels about his McLaren situation too. Yeah, I guess I... I um... 
I've been thinking this year, just in general, and and this definitely came through while we were chatting with him, just that I've been, I've been kind of wondering to myself a little bit, like why he seems to have just fit in so well and, and is, and is so rapidly just feel, he just feels at home, right? Like not comfortable in a, yeah in a bad way, like that he's overly comfy, but that he's, he's sort of transitioned to this new team. I think there was just for any driver, get it coming into that situation. There's a lot of reasons why you might not just gel immediately with everybody or that if you do have some insecurity about your, your pace or kind of where you've been at or whatever, that those things might manifest kind of at the beginning until you really showcase that you've got it there. And part of this, you know, part of that is solved by Alex being quite fast right away, really. So, so there wasn't this, we might be having a little bit of a different conversation or whatever in that respect, if he had jumped in and, and been three or four tenths off everywhere and, you know, not qualifying in the top 12 right away and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I definitely, it's, it's been among the things that's, I guess, flown under our radar a little bit. It's not been, it's not really been the, the hot topic of conversation over the course of this year yet, in part, just because we're obviously trying to like rip through what's happening among the drivers that are the top three every weekend. And Alex, as he, as he said, just hasn't quite been that guy on a consistent basis yet. But I, I guess to, to kind of like wrap my point here. It it just made me it, it it made me think like I think that this is a this is a driver and just a, a guy a person who he's been in F one he's seen kind of the level that those teams operate at he's he's been he's his trajectory in the sport has been one that was as as he sort of detailed like he was on this trajectory to the top and so you you start building up a I think over time, the drivers that have either been there or really, or were really squarely focused on that, uh, whether they, whether they really totally got there or not, you start to build up an expectation of just what you think, how you think teams should sort of look and feel and operate and, and whatever. And Alex just strikes me as a guy, not even as a driver, but just as, as like a professional within the sport that I think he just, and it might be unfair to say that he has the expectation of it being this way, but that he just sort of expects for things to be at a certain level for it to feel for it to be a, be a part of an organization that feels like everybody's taking it super seriously. And that there's a degree of commitment to winning and operating at the highest possible level level and gathering all the necessary resources to do that. And like, there's a feeling that you get when you walk into an organization that's like that versus one that's kind of not that you just immediately feel like okay we're here to get down to business you know and i and i feel like that's how alex is yeah. like that's his mo as a professional within the sport is i'm here to get to work you know like he said like i don't give a shit about some silly side bet in terms of what's going on here like i'm just here to win i don't need and and everybody yeah, everybody's there to win like it's not like but it's like the fun factor of it is unimportant kind of yeah like the the extraneous extra stuff just doesn't really matter to him uh, and i think he's always been that way he's always i mean I, I mentioned on the pod like we were carding teammates he was super serious about it and he was like you know 12 or whatever yeah and so 
I think that, and his, and his dad treated it that way too. I mean, I remember, I even remember that about racing against Peter in the formula Russell championship that he was, I mean, he was like hardcore about if I'm going to be here doing this, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm here to put my absolute best foot forward kind of regardless of what the stakes are, regardless of what level this is at, regardless of what's next for me. Like that's, that becomes, I think just a, a, an ingrained perspective and feeling that you have about your surroundings and, and what you're there to do. And so I don't, and this is not at all to say that Andretti Autosport isn't like that, but I don't necessarily know. I mean, when you look at just the the kind of the teammates that he had while he was there, and and some of that stuff, it's it you just get the feeling that it's it's not like it just this ubiquitous everybody that's a part of the organization from the other drivers. You know, there's kind of always a pay driver there. There's always you know, some of this stuff, there's some little things that just kind of kick that feeling a notch, a half a notch down in terms of like, well, this whole thing isn't exact. like part of this, part of this is like, you know, so-and-so is here so that we can kind of like make a buck and get our, you know, get our sponsorship like right. And, you know, there, there's like a little bit of, it's not like one, absolutely 100% of the agenda, the way that the entire thing is built. Every person that's there is there just to go win races and kick ass. And so um, I just feel like, I, I feel like there's, and I don't know that I'm exactly describing, like explaining this or describing that properly, but it just feels like it, you, you get the sense that he got that feeling from Arrow McLaren from when he walked in the door there and that that so totally aligns with his attitude about going racing and racing in the IndyCar series. And it probably does feel like kind of a big deal that you're there. And like it, you know, when you're with one of those organizations, whenever you show up at the track, you don't have to, you don't have to manufacture for yourself a reason to feel like it's worth it to be there or something, you know? Um, and so uh, I think that, I think that's a part of why he seems the way that he does right now and whatever, whether that's right or wrong, certainly he has found like a groove with this organization and, and we've seen, I think we've seen the best of him this year, basically. I mean, if you give him, if you give him that little, like he was kind of explaining about their road America test, if you give him just that little bit of leeway to say, all right, I think it's, it's reasonable that a guy coming into a new team with even a slightly different setup philosophy. And, you know, there's going to be some things that he's, it's a new engineer that he's working with, you know, whatever, if you give him that little bit of leeway to say, all right, we'll give you some time to like actually figure out how to completely optimize everywhere you go, like that it's, it's going to take a minute to like figure that part of every setup, every track that you go to out. Um, I think if you give him that little bit of a buffer, then you've seen one of absolutely the most competitive drivers in the field again this year in Alexander Rossi. So um, cool to hear from him. I, I think it, it, it didn't surprise me that he came off the way he did to us and uh, yeah, it'd be really interesting, interesting to see. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't win a race this year. Yeah, there's a couple of kind of bits I just want to chime in on there, JR, as well, and make some kind of additional points. I think the 
I just get this feeling of like ever since he came in, just like gravitas. Like he's like an experienced driver with a level of respect that he's immediately demanded from his team. And I, I only bring this up to say that when he went, when he got that drive, and when he went into that seat, he was not a, a championship winning driver coming in with that level of immediate like demanding respect kind of thing not that he's demanding it but that his like name demands a certain level of respect sure. he was a driver you know basically at, theoretically at a crossroads in his career where he hadn't had the success that he'd had previously and it had been three years since he'd you know replicated that success so for me coming into the season this was a Rossi that we were like is he ever going to be able to to reach that performance level again and is he going to be able to to do that on a consistent basis and what he's done is in a, in a team where we saw how long it took Felix Rosenquist to adapt to this car and how long it took to adapt to this team. And maybe that's not an exactly fair comparison because we're a little bit further on with the development of this team now. Yeah, you're further down the road. Yeah. You know that you know that they've, you know, sort of, quote unquote, fixed. Yeah. You know, some of the things that made the car hard to drive and whatever. But, but I agree with you. But even Alexander went in thinking that that could be a problem that he would have and that he would take some time to adapt to the car maybe or that he would have to customize it a little bit to, to how he wanted it and that's you know obviously not been the case and he he has been the more mature performer of this team through the start of the season not making the errors that his teammates have made in multiple races this season in my opinion and the only two results you can really take away from him are Texas which all right like uh, if someone wants to say that that was Alexander's fault then I'm not going to fight them over it but I think that was a bit of a kind of 50-50 racing incident that I don't necessarily think Alexander could have done much different there in in my opinion and the you know the suspension issue he had at Long Beach and that would have put him fourth in the championship with those two results kind of tweaked and I know we can go through every single driver in the field and tweak their results slightly to put them in a certain position except for Alex Pillow yeah except for Alex Pillow he's like He's number one and everything. Speaking <laughs> speaking of which, one of the other things I wanted to raise that I'd been so impressed with Alexander Rossi about is that I've got a, a spreadsheet running with the like average in laps and out laps. So I've basically taken each driver's best one as a ranking from every race and then averaged that over the eight races. And Rossi's second for out laps, which is one of my favourite stats in IndyCar that outlaps as anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time will know because you're on cold tyres, there's no tyre warmers, often with a full tank of fuel. Um quite often on street circuits, throwing these cars around a, a really, really difficult task to do. And he's uh, right. Guess who was first in that ranking? Alex Pillow. Of course. Who else would it be? Like he's <laughs> literally top of every single, even my kind of contrived spreadsheet of like in and out laps that doesn't actually track every single outlap. It just tracks like the best outlap of each driver from each race. Um, yeah, he's top of that as well. So uh, that's no surprise there. Even the suspect uh the suspect statistics he's even at the top of all those <laughs> my statistics are very thoroughly researched probably with multiple errors but i'll try my best to make sure that make sure that they're perfect but anyway yeah just a couple of um a couple of points to make on alexander there and also the i guess kind of along the maturity point and talking about his teammates not not any kind of over pushing that we've seen a little bit from him in the past where He's been maybe in a window where he's like somewhere near the top five and has made a mistake or has reached for a result that just hasn't quite been there. And we've seen his teammates score podiums this year on multiple occasions. And it's fair to, it would be fair to correlate from that that he's been in a position where he probably, you know, could have had a couple of better results here and there. But it's a risk versus reward thing that is, you know, this is one of the reasons why he's the most consistent person in that team this year is because he's taken the results that are, 
that are available to him. So I've, been, I've just been really impressed that there's not, doesn't seem to have been like, the big one that always stands out for me was when he was leading at St. Pete in 2020 and crashed. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing where, you know, just pushing beyond what is necessary or what is possible for the situation. And I just haven't seen any of that from him this year. I think he's been absolutely, absolutely brilliant. So it was really good to get him on, especially before Mid-Ohio, because it's one of his, uh, one of his best tracks. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I guess we should move away from the topic of Alexander Rossi briefly, JR, to talk about Mid-Ohio this weekend. We've got uh, his ex-teammate Colton Herter, who had a great record or has a great record at Mid-Ohio. I spoke to his engineer, Nathan O'Rourke, earlier this week and um, they were very happy as a bit of a side note about their Iowa test that they topped uh, last week. But Nathan was keen to point out that they'd done um, over 300 laps at that test and the big thing, they, they basically said that if they'd have been 15th in that test and achieved everything that they achieved at the test, they would have been happy. So the first was a bonus, but the more kind of crucial element to that was that they were very happy with how they'd got on with the tyre life, making making the car last over a stint. And Iowa's been one of their most tricky kind of circuits. Um, I think I think we maybe even spoke to some people from Andretti like earlier in the season about you know where Andretti were going to go and how they were going to perform this season. And I think every single one of their drivers has pointed to their kind of performance on short ovals or somewhere they have been working really hard on in the off-season and, and Nathan kind of back that up. So anyway, Colton will be someone we'll, we'll be watching. Ganassi's been really strong on the on the road courses, as we know, um, with the kind of asterisks that we're still looking for Marcus Ericsson to win a road course race. And it's like this is definitely the kind of time he needs to put in a win to put some pressure on his teammate Alex Fallow. And yeah, I, I guess And he could at he he very well could at Mid Ohio. Like he's had some awesome runs there. He's had some very strong I mean, I runs think there. Back, I think it I guess it was two years ago yeah. when Joseph won that Marcus was like chasing him down. Like if there had been one more lap, he'd won the race. It so. was like twenty three seconds that he pulled on Joseph as well. And that just doesn't really happen to Joseph, does it? Like someone outperforms him over a stint to that level is like unusual. So um, there was some little things going on in that, that that we, you know, we've not really got time to get into, but bas- basically it was a, a really good drive, as you said, from from Marcus. Um, is there anyone we haven't spoken about you're thinking of for, for Mid-Ohio? And I guess we spoke about with Alex a little bit about what to expect from the track and kind of what we're, what we're looking for here. But I, I guess the bigger question for, you know, overriding anything about the track is like, can anyone challenge Ganassi and Alex Pillow here? But I don't know if there's anyone else you've been thinking of that you, that kind of stands out in your mind as someone we should be watching. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I think that the the Aero McLaren cars generally are the ones that, because I, I basically feel like last year, both of them having had, it, like Pato was going to win the race in my mind. Yeah. And then Felix jumped into that hole. <laughs> so then Felix was going to win the race. And yeah. They both had, you know, these kind of varying engine electronics, whatever, or shifting issues. Um, and so I, I do think that that this, not just because we had Alex on the pod, but those three guys basically are just as likely to upset the apple cart here in terms of, you know, a different, a different group, a different team, a different driver coming in and displaying potentially some dominance here. 
Like, I think they're, if, if we're looking for who might show up and just wax everybody, it's just as likely that it's one of those three guys as it is New Garden or Hello or Dixon or Colton or whatever. Um, I think looking at the rest of the, the rest of the field, one of the things that I'll, this was, this was for so long a Scott Dixon like clinic at, mid Ohio. We haven't really seen that from Scott over the last few years. Like there's definitely been, there's been sort of a shift in the balance of power at, at mid Ohio in particular. And, but we've also seen Scott kind of go through this phase of things, not really being perfect for him and, and him not really, I think finding what he's looking for in his own race car. So that, you know, if they're, because of the fact that Ganassi has just generally been strong here, whether it's been Scott, I guess a little bit more long-term, but Alex and, you know, Alex and Marcus have both been very good here in the last couple of years. If there's a track that sort of stands out just on paper as somewhere that you might see a resurgent Scott Dixon, this is that place to me. Um, And then you already mentioned the others. I mean, Colton, I think is, is the obvious just standout performer. I think that regardless of where the team is as a whole at Andretti, they Andretti, we know, we, we know from the beginning of the year that Andretti did definitely make a step on road and street course performance. So um, the fact that he's been without them really being great, the fact that he's been as strong as he's been here um, over the last couple of years, you know, makes him, I think the obvious other one to watch, like you already said. I think four poles from eight races for Andretti is a stat that's kind of gone under the radar a little bit in the wake of their kind of unraveling in races situation that we've had quite recently, but still shows what they're capable of, on especially on the road and street courses. So I think you're definitely right. And Colton especially obviously had the pole last week and was dominant through that race before the kind of last stint that, that let him down a bit there. And the, the team were fighting some things going on in the background there, trying to get Colton to to hit a massive fuel number that was bigger than expected. So a, a really difficult end to the race room there, but he'll definitely be uh, resurgent in, in mid-Ohio, I think. And and Rossi as well, I think. Just just additionally on him, he obviously was, you know, looked like he was going to be in a, a dominant situation last weekend when he topped the the practice sessions. Yeah. And then we were expecting him to kind of pop it on pole or, or be there or thereabouts. And the I guess the kind of ultimate performance didn't quite show up for him in, in qualifying and, and in the race. But um, I, I guess uh, I only bring that up to sort of hint at a glimmer of like what he's, what he's starting to be capable of. We've not really seen that kind of level from him, um, you know, topping sessions repeatedly and looking like a, a proper standout performer at a race weekend. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that as well. Yeah, I think I, just to touch on that for a quick second, I do think that when you really start to find what you're looking for in the race car as a team and engineer, you will, you know, there's always a little bit of this question mark of, you know, the reds versus the blacks and how do those evolve over a weekend? And it's it's not it's not as if there isn't some complexity to sort of guessing. You're always guessing a little bit ahead, like what's going to happen in the next session? Where's the track going to go? What's the tire going to give me? All this kind of stuff. But the closer you get to consistently showing up through practice one and practice two and and just realizing your expectation in terms of what the car is going to be like, the setup that you're bringing to the track, all these types of things, the more refined you get within these teams, the more you can start to rely on your instincts as a as a driver and engineer to say, all right, it was like this in practice two. Now we're going to go into qualifying. We're going to make this one tweak because 
now we're this because this is the the situation that we're anticipating in terms of what the car is doing going into the race same thing okay for high fuel load for making the tires last all right these are the couple of tweaks that we're going to make to kind of preemptively prepare the car and and sort of the driving style for that scenario and so it strikes me that you know Alex and his group are kind of homing in on being in that place on a more consistent basis for the front end of weekends like okay we're we've been in the sim we've they've done all the simulation behind the scenes we're rolling out first practice okay boom like it's it's performing how we thought it would i mean that's that's most of what you're trying to do actually when you show up at the racetrack is you're you're sort of crossing your fingers that all the work that you've done that that whatever you think from the previous year plus the simulation work and going to the actual simulator and doing all this stuff that you're you're basically just crossing your fingers that all of that combined when you put it out on the track that it actually gives you the the feeling in the car a and then the performance b that you're sort of anticipating from that collection of parts and so it just strikes me and even listening to alexander talk about what it's been like at mclaren he mentioned a lot of these a lot of those things just in terms of the tools that they have in their toolbox so you don't mention that stuff if it's not kind of working for you like if you don't think that that's affecting the or that's not kind of helping to create for the performance that you're showcasing um you know if if that whole team as a group but definitely you know alex and his car and an engineer in particular if they can start to get on a roll where they they are kind of accurately predicting where they think weekends go um you know that that they are going to be dangerous because i think that alex does you get the feeling that he does bring a degree of experience and just I don't know, like confidence is kind of the wrong word. It's not exactly the word that I'm looking for here, but but a, a a determined feeling that like if we get this right, we are going to go kick everyone's ass. Like it's not it's not a it's like reassuring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he just brings this element of of like knowing that when things are right, we're we're gonna like the result is just going to come you know, and that it's not going to be questionable. Like it's, it, you know, if, if we do the first part of this, there's got not a question mark in terms of us executing at a high level or something. So, um, yeah, definitely. Um, now that we've talked to him, I'm even more keen to kind of see how the rest of the season goes. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me on that interview, JR. And as always, for all of your excellent IndyCar insight, I hope I've redeemed myself for forcing us not to have a preview podcast for Road America by giving you a massive bumper mid-Ohio uh, preview. So hopefully that's uh, made up for all the people who were upset that they didn't get a, a mid-Ohio uh, Road America preview. So um, yeah, hoping I've redeemed myself there. You can visit the-race.com for all your IndyCar news, features, analysis, opinion. Uh, in terms of what to expect this week, there's some some Nathan O'Rourke on Colton Herter's recent Iowa test and a little bit about how they're getting on in IndyCar generally. There's a Nolan Siegel feature. He's won the last two Indy Next races, should have been the third. You might have seen him grind into a halt with a gearbox issue, uh, almost like rolling over the finish line in, in the first Detroit race that he also should have won. So uh, you can read a little bit about... He just won the... Uh... LMP2 class at Watkins Glen in the six hour as well. Absolutely did last weekend. Yeah. So I spoke to him just after that. So he was definitely, uh, he was definitely, he's 
well, everything's going great for him right now. He can't really complain about anything. So it was a, a nice uplifting interview to do. Uh, so that was uh, that was really good fun. Uh, you can also read uh, a little bit of a feature about some of the things that I think IndyCar could change uh, on a kind of short-term or overnight level to make it more accessible to fans. So uh, if you're a general kind of IndyCar fan and want to learn a little bit about things that I would change to make it more accessible, then you can read that. And we should probably get JR to do that feature because he'd be awesome for that. And he would come up with some great ideas of things that should that should change. Top, I'll give you a, I'll give you a preview, JR. Top of the list is change alternate and primaries is more horsepower no it's not actually because you can't change that you can't change that overnight know, or in the short term i'm just messing so with, I had to leave it just off. Messing with you so changing changing the name of the tires from alternate and primary to soft and hard was top of the list of things to make it more accessible to fans so actually okay i'm with you on yeah, that because f1 fans coming in have no idea what an alternate or a primary is well and and we've also got gotten to this place where when they run the the the, the green, green tire, tire yeah yeah that everybody's always like trying to call it a red and then yeah, they're like oh wait, no it's the green and yeah yeah it's yeah. like it doesn't matter it's just the soft tire it's the other exactly. one Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So soft or hard, it works perfectly every time. It's it's the winner. So there's a little preview for you. You can go and read that feature when it's live uh, sometime this week. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode of the Race IndyCar podcast, reviewing all of the hopefully brilliant action from Mid-Ohio. The Athletic.